Hi guys, welcome to a special episode of the Axe 29 Europe podcast. In April of this year, we were able to host our Equip conference and Graham Bynum took us through what it means for us to be shepherds of God's flock. You're on part three now, so I hope you enjoy it. But if you've missed part one and two, you can go back on your podcast feed and I'm sure you'll be able to find them. But I hope you enjoy this final talk from the Equip conference of this year. Father, the writer in Ecclesiastes tells us that God is in heaven and we are on earth. Uh, Draw near to listen. Father, help us do that now, we pray. May we bow before you as our Lord and God. And may we listen to your word. May we be shaped by it. Work through your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, we're thinking about uh, shepherding the flock. Uh, this is the third of three talks. Those of you who joined uh, today, um, it, this, this will work as a standalone, but I will draw a little bit on what I mentioned yesterday. Uh, it'd be great to have the handout open in front of you. I dropped it in the chat if you don't have a copy. Um, uh, and we're into session three, shepherding in practice. We're thinking about shepherding. Um, Some of you are shepherds. That's the term the New Testament uses for you if you are a uh, church leader. Uh, Others of you aren't shepherds in that way, but you are involved in teaching, caring, uh, guiding the flock in other roles within the church. And so, as I said yesterday, a lot of the same dynamics will apply to you. And we've seen yesterday God as the shepherd Uh, who rescues and saves his people, and he then appoints shepherds after his own heart. We've seen how we minister Jesus's kind of call and authority into people's lives, but we do that as servants who care and love for people. And I hope we saw yesterday something of how needed and how good that is. Sheep without a shepherd's a bad thing. What I want to do now is to dig into shepherding in practice to some degree. We can't say everything. Uh, I don't mean to do that. I'm going to do it from Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn there. And this is where Paul speaks to the elders from the church in Ephesus, a church that he pastored probably more than any other Uh, and he is now travelling to Jerusalem and calls to meet with them. Verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And the speech he then gives to them, the summary we've got here, uh, has been rightly described as a kind of passing on the baton from one person to another, uh, because he knows he's not going back. And so he's handing responsibility on to them. And and the the, the charge, as it were, right at the heart of it is there in verse 28, uh, be shepherds of the church of God. I want to look at what he says under these two broad headings, Paul's example and then his command. So let's look at his example, first of all. You see how he draws attention to his example, verse 18. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. 
from the first day I came into the province of Asia, which is where Ephesus is. Because it's a funny thing to say, isn't it? You might think, well, if, if, if you know how I lived, why tell us again? Why repeat it? And I take it he's reminding them and describing what he did, what they know of what he did, because it's a model for them. He has set them an example to follow. So let's look at a few things. Look at the um, activity, his activity of teaching. Just look at the different words. Track with me. Verse 20, I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would have been helpful, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21, I've declared to Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus. Uh, verse uh, 24, um I'm, my aim is to finish the race and complete the task what's that task the task of testifying to the good news of god's grace verse 25 uh, none of you among whom i have gone about preaching the kingdom will see me again verse 27 i haven't hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of god there's five different words there in the NIV. There's actually only four different words in the original, but you get the point. Paul's main activity was speaking, declaring a message from God in these different ways. Behind which, of course, is the conviction that God works by his word, which is there actually in verse 32. I commit you to God under the word of his grace, which can. God's word of grace can build you up and give you an inheritance. It is how God works and God speaks through people. Uh, notice, please, we are not simply speaking about preaching here. We can be misled by that word, say verse 20, preach, uh, or uh, 25, preaching. There is no word in the New Testament that relates to a 30-minute monologue given on a Sunday morning. That, that's how we use that word preach. That's not what it meant. And he mixes it up with all these other words, teaching, declaring, testifying. And the whole package just means relaying the message, telling people from God, teaching them from God. And of course, we do do that in sermons, in 30-minute monologues, or however long. But we do it in lots of other ways. We do it one-to-one. -one. We do it in small groups and seminars. And Paul here says, uh, publicly and house-to-house. -house. We shepherd by speaking God's word, formally, informally. Then there's the content of what is said. Um, uh, it is, it is gospel-centred teaching, verse 21. Turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus. Verse 24, it's testifying to the good news of God's grace. But Paul gives a certain emphasis to this content with this repeated phrase that I have not hesitated. Verse 20, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. 
verse 27, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, everything he wanted me to say. This word hesitating has the idea of, um, of, of shrinking back. In fact, some translations put it that way. Uh, so being fearful and stepping back. And Paul is saying, I haven't done that. I haven't hesitated. I haven't shrunk back. I have stepped up and stepped in. I've said whatever I needed to say. I've said anything that would have been helpful. I've declared the whole will. I've not left anything out. Anything you needed to hear, I've said it. To connect this with yesterday, you know, we said we ministered Jesus's authority on his behalf. We like his representatives. And so we say everything Jesus would want us to say, everything he'd want to say to that person has got to come out of our mouth. And we say it as servants. We say it lovingly and gently, but we say whatever Jesus wants. Which, of course, raises the question and the issue that we might hesitate. We might shrink back. There will be doctrines and truths that will just feel socially unacceptable today. You know, gender and sexuality would be obvious examples. Or there will be teaching in a particular situation or context that we feel could be explosive. Or a, a pastoral setting where we we know saying something might not go down very well and so on. And, and you know, I don't, <laughs> please hear me, I don't mean to make us really bullish and like controversial saying, well, I'm just going to sock it to them. No, it's not what I mean at all. I mean, when we know God would want us to say something, we don't shrink back. We step in and we speak. Then there is Paul's uh, manner. Back in verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing. He serves, he does all this with humility. Uh, we saw this yesterday, uh, lowering ourselves, uh, positioning ourselves beneath and so speaking from a position of humility, not superiority. You know, Paul didn't go around thinking, if only you could all be a bit more like me. Didn't think of himself as above people. Wasn't bothered by status or, or recognition. Again, as we saw yesterday, the, the posture of our hearts is a key dynamic in how we relate to people and then how we shepherd and speak to them. Pride poisons ministry because it, it, it inverts the right relationship. I, I should be serving you in humility, not raising myself above you and over you, using you. He served the Lord with tears. It's there again in verse 31, I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. As Paul led and taught, he cried. You know, he, didn't, he didn't deliver the sermon and then just head back to the study. 
I've said the right thing, so I'm done. He lived life with people. He didn't keep a, a professional distance. He cried over them. There's um there's a bit of a running joke in our family, which um which stems from um some of the books I've written. You know, on the back of the book books, you get a bit of blurb. And um a couple of books I've written have said, oh, the you know, books about da-da-da-da. And, and then it says, with a pastor's heart, Graham Bynan, da-da-da-da-da. And my boys go, oh yeah, how's your pastor's heart, Dad? You know, <laughs> are you feeling it? You know. Thanks. Thanks, guys. It's always good to have kids keep you level. I actually read that and I end up feeling a bit of a fraud. I worry it makes me sound rather more caring than I am. But I do know this and I'm helpfully reminded by that. A pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart is actually shown like this, crying over people. I mean, whether we actually shed tears or not is not the issue. We care. We're involved. And then it's done in the context of this testing the plots of Jewish opponents. And Paul expands as he looks ahead in verse 22 about going to Jerusalem and not knowing what's going to happen, but knowing that prison and hardship and so on face him. But verse 24, my life is worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. In other words, he will, he will press on and, and, and do this job and be, be spent in it, whatever the cost. And so again, his, his, his stance, as it were, is it's, it's not about me. It's not for me. I'm, I am giving of myself for this and for them. And the question we face is whether we will spend ourselves on behalf of the flock. And that then connects to his motivation. Down to verse uh, 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You know how these hands of mine supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Now, the background here is that itinerant preachers could make money, give a speech, take up a collection. And Paul, in other places you'll know, has to defend himself against the accusation of being in it for the money. On Thessalonians 2, he does that. Now, look, we, we we told elsewhere, we know there's there's nothing wrong with church workers uh, and leaders being paid. 1 Timothy 5, the worker deserves his wages. The point Paul is making here is, I didn't do all this with the motivation of making money. I wasn't coveting. I wasn't grasping. It wasn't, I wasn't in it for me. In fact, I've done it following Jesus's example and command. Verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
I've done it to give rather than to get. Now, look, I think uh, relatively few of us in the UK and on this call will be in ministry for the money. Um, and if we are, we've probably made a bad choice. But we could still be in it for what we get rather than what we give. We could do it to gain a platform, prestige, kudos, influence. Now, I, I don't mean, I don't mean we shouldn't ever enjoy ministry or get something out of it. Of course we should. But fundamentally, it's not about getting, it's about giving. And if motivation turns to what I get, then well, what happens? Are people become a means to an end for me. In the end, what, what's happening? What's the dynamic? I'm using them for what I get rather than serving them to give to them. Well, that quickly heads down the road of those self-focused shepherds yesterday, doesn't it? Who care for themselves rather than caring for the flock. So there's, there's Paul's example. You know how I've lived. Let me remind you because I've set you an example. And then there's Paul's command. And it's very dense right in the middle there in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. If you want to memorize one verse on Christian ministry, I don't think you could do any better than this one. Let's pick it apart. You keep watch, first of all. And the idea here is being attentive. You don't take your eye off the ball. You stay alert. You keep watch. You're aware. And you keep watch in two ways, two, 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 two areas. You keep watch over yourselves. But because you know you're not immune to going astray, you're vulnerable. Oh, yeah, we, we keep watch over ourselves individually, but this is a command to a group to keep watch over themselves. We do it together, and I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. And then secondly, you keep watch over the flock. You pay attention to them. You are attentive to how they're doing. We, we know people. We don't just minister to people. You know, this just reminds me, you know, conceiving of Christian ministry in terms of meetings. You know, of course we have meetings because we get together, we run services and things. But you just think, if you think Christian ministry is running a meeting to which people come and you do stuff at the front and they leave, you can't do this. This is keeping watch. This is knowing people and knowing what's going on in their lives. And you keep watch because the Holy Spirit has 
made you overseers to shepherd. Um, the, the NIV separates this out. It says made you overseers and then be shepherds. It actually just flows straight on. You're made overseers to shepherd. You are, you are put in a position of oversight to feed and guard and care and minister and all the package that comes with shepherding. This, this sums up our work pastoral ministry being a pastor you know i don't know if you know this helpful if you don't the word pastor it just means shepherd it's it, it it's come into english via latin and so it ends up as pastor so it doesn't sound anything like shepherd but that's all it means it's shepherd pastoral ministry is shepherding ministry that's all it is when someone calls you a pastor they're saying you're my shepherd And so you shepherd, thirdly, the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This is the issue of ownership that we saw yesterday that's so key. It is God's church that he's asked you to shepherd. And it adds to that the idea of preciousness because the church cost his blood, the blood of Jesus. One of our sons um, has a girlfriend who studies music and plays the violin. And her violin is apparently very expensive. Uh, we, we don't know how expensive it is. I think our son does, and he just kind of goes, a lot. Um, imagine she asks him to look after it while she goes away. He's not going to throw it in the boot of the car. He's not going to just bung it in the shed. He's going to walk around with it like, man, this is expensive. He's going to take great care of it, be very attentive to it. And that attitude turns on two things. It's not his, and it's very precious. And Paul says, God has placed you as shepherds over his church, and it cost him a lot. It's not yours. It's very precious. Would you please take care of it? And I find that thought so helpful in lots of ways, particularly if I'm flagging or I'm finding people annoying. I've been made an overseer to shepherd the flock. It's not mine. It cost Jesus his blood. And they need to shepherd in this way because, fourthly, there are savage wolves around. Verse 29 I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. False teachers are pictured here and elsewhere in the New Testament as wolves. Of course, they won't look like wolves. They'll deceive people. But what they will do is twist the truth of the gospel and they will harm people. Again, think of the imagery like yesterday. What you know, 
savage wolves, sheep. What does it look like? It's carnage. It's blood. It's gore. And the frightening thing is, verse 30, even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Now, he, he may mean even from the group of elders themselves. If not, he means from among the church. Whichever of the two, danger can arise from within, and so you need to watch out. You need to, verse 20, 31, be on your guard. Keep watch, because you're the shepherds and you've got to protect the flock. So there's Paul's command. Well, let me finish with some reflections from this. Uh, first of all, word and relationship. See that combination? Word and relationships. Paul's shepherding is focused on declaring the truth and preaching and teaching whatever is helpful, declaring the whole counsel of God, don't leave anything out, all in the context of relationships, people he cares for, people he cries over, people he's keeping watch. People are then not sermon fodder, you know, an audience who will listen or people to give applause for your ministry, a platform for your teaching. They're people you live with and love. But neither is it that you just live with people and love them, but with no kind of direction or purpose, agenda or aim. No, you, you bring the word to bear. It's not pure word, just teach them. It's not pure relationship, just hang out. The heart of Christian ministry and shepherding is bringing God's word to bear in the context of loving relationships and community. And that's what flows out into the rich picture we saw yesterday of rescuing and binding up and strengthening and feeding. And it can look so different, as we said, it can be sitting down and having a pint with somebody or it can be standing in a pulpit. But it's word and relationship. And look, you'll, you, you'll all know this. I'm telling you the obvious, but it's worth saying the obvious sometimes. A year of lockdown means we've continued to teach, but relationships have been affected. We, I take it we have, most of us, in most contexts, we have some kind of relational deficit. And one of the things we're going to have to do is to kind of lean into relationships. And we should be very wary and worried, as it were, of just continuing to teach at something of a distance. Um, a few of us were chatting about this at one point, um, uh, and, and one of them was Robbo, and Robbo mentioned uh, uh, Paul, who's with him. Sorry to name check you, Paul. But Paul's granddad, I think it was, apparently was a shepherd. And when he went to visit him, he said his granddad smelt of the sheep because he'd been spending so much time with them. I, I'm conscious I need to sort of smell of the sheep a bit more word and relationship. 
Then leaders and plurality. Paul um, does speak as an individual here. You know how I served the Lord. But we mustn't read this as a lone leader model. There are two reasons not to do that. One is in the passage. Paul's commands are to a group of elders. He expects leader, leadership, ongoing leadership to be plural, not singular. And the second reason is from Paul's example elsewhere. He was never willingly a lone leader. He always worked with others. So our thinking about shepherding should involve plurality, particularly, I think, eldership groups. But wider staff teams, small group leaders, it depends how you're organised as a church. And that plurality involves both of the, the watch over things we saw earlier. You, know, you watch over yourselves, first of all, and there is an individual nature to that. I'm Paul says to Timothy individually, watch your life and doctrine closely. 1 Timothy 4. You know, no one else can be your conscience for you. So there is an individual aspect to it. But here there is also a plural aspect. You watch over yourselves together. So you see things in each other's lives. You walk together in honesty. honesty. There was a time a little while ago where we were having um, some conversations at our church about my role and sort of my, my future potential roles I might do, this sort of thing. It involved discussing kind of my my gifts and what I was good at and that sort of thing. And one of our elders came to me and he said, Graham, I'm aware we've been in some meetings recently discussing you. We've been saying very nice things about you. And I know you've mentioned you struggle with pride. So how's that going? And are we being unhelpful? And I, I, I didn't think I was particularly falling in that, but I was so glad he watched over me. And it was so helpful to have that discussion. I can look around the screen. I know some of you guys have watched over each other. Uh, lots of people are reading this. Um, Paul Tripp's book, uh, Lead. Um, uh, you probably know of it. I th it's a funny book. I think it basically says this in every chapter. He basically says you need to watch over each other in every chapter, but really, really helpfully so, <laughs> with a slightly different angle in each chapter. We've been reading this as an eldership. I think I've realised that we're, we're doing fine. We could think we were doing better than we really were. And Tripp's put his finger on some things. There's plurality in watching over each other, speaking to each other's lives, checking each other. And then there's plurality in watching over the flock. There's more than one pair of eyes. You see different things. It's so great when people see things that I don't have a different perspective. Just last week, elders meeting, I mentioned I was going to talk to a couple or I was thinking about a couple. I was wondering about this. Someone else later said to me, do be aware of. And it was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't seen that dynamic. That's helpful. For lead pastors, can I say to lead pastors in particular, this means having to say to yourself, I don't see it all. 
and I need others to help give perspective. Earlier in ministry, I, I believed that and I said that, but I think I actually assumed that I could see it all clearly. And I can't, and I don't. Um, thirdly, defending and flourishing. The oversight and the care of the shepherds is the rich picture that we've seen, but you can divide it into two broad areas, these defend and then kind of the flourishing, the feeding of the flock. Uh, you may know John Calvin um, refers to the two voices of the pastor from uh, Titus 1.9, where he talks, Titus 1.9 is about encouraging and refuting. The two voices of the pastor. You, you have to speak with two voices. You have to fight wolves and defend, and you have to build up. There's this negative side, ward off danger, protect from harm, because there are wolves and people can go astray. And I want to say there is a potential issue for us at this particular moment. You know, we said yesterday we could we could have a heightened concern about speaking strongly, about being, you know, uh, too too forward, instructive. Am I overstepping my bounds? That sort of thing. So we could sort of back off and be more cautious as leaders. But one of our voices is, is to defend. And if we were to back off defending, what are we doing? We're just opening the flock up to vulnerability. When there is the start of any kind of abusive leadership in any context, the most helpful thing that could immediately happen is that there is strong leadership that defends against it. I met with a lady um, who had a background of um, sexual abuse, unfortunately, from her, her childhood uh, in our church. Um, she ended up meeting with another group of Christians uh, uh, specialising in help for people with that kind of traumatic background. And in that group, she was she met with the leader she was told by the leader that she had a spirit of lust which invited men to abuse her that's an appalling thing to say if you know anything about people who've been abused i mean it's an appalling thing to say for lots of reasons but not least because people with that sort of background often feel guilty that they do things to invite have invited it when it wasn't their fault at all and now here's a christian leader to, went on to some of the remedies which i won't tell you What did that person need at that point from me? She needed to be defended. She needed me to speak strongly against that, to refute. That's, that's a fairly obvious example, but you see the point. We must defend the flock. And we feed and nurture so the flock flourishes, so it's well fed. 
so that it grows. Paul teaches whatever would be helpful or profitable, the word of grace that can build us up and strengthen us. Shepherds protect against harm and they lead into flourishing. So look again, you think of our context where people are wary of power and authority because it can be used to control and limit. And we need to know it can also be used to defend and help flourish. You know, people are wary because power can be used for the benefit of the leaders at the expense of people. And we need to see it can be used for the good of people, even at the expense of leaders. That's the picture here, isn't it? Paul gives himself for the good of people. So look, there's this, of course, there's concern over poor use of position, rightly so, but we must hold out this. We need shepherds who will defend and lead flocks into flourishing. Let me finish by just wrapping up with the sort of big picture of shepherding that we saw yesterday. The whole story, God's plan of salvation can be told in shepherding terms. We go astray, God comes to seek and save the lost. He looks for the lost sheep. 1 Peter 2, you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And we then walk with God as our shepherd who cares for us and protects us and feeds us. And who will lead us to a final pasture of rest and security. Revelation 7, never again will they hunger, never will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's God's big plan of salvation to seek and to gather and to shepherd his flock and bring them to that final pasture. And the point is, we get to play a part in that story. We saw yesterday God's yeah, the divine preference for human agency. God likes to work through people. He wants to use people like us as his under shepherds to achieve these plans, to take people on that journey. He wants shepherds after his own heart. And so I just, I just want to encourage you to be shepherds. In whatever position you have, whatever responsibility, whatever role you have in the life of the church, be it shepherd the flock, guide, care, teach, defend, flourish. There are, of course, all sorts of challenges, dangers and ways we can go wrong, and we will get things wrong. We'll have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't do that right. But there is grace. And there is ultimately a need for shepherds. So let's just finish with Peter's call. Let me read it and then pray.
be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the great shepherd who gathers your people. Thank you that the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life. Thank you, you are rescuing and guiding and leading people to yourself, to a place of ultimate safety and security and flourishing. Father, help us, please, as we shepherd, as your, as your under-shepherds, as we care for your flock, as we take part in that work. Equip us with the knowledge and the skill we need. Most of all, please, give us the hearts, the, the, the shepherd after your own heart. Please shape us in this way that we would lead your people well. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope you enjoyed these talks by Graham Bynum from our Equip Conference this year. Folks, can I encourage you, please subscribe, please like the podcast, and please share with your friends if they are interested in church planting through Europe. We hope and pray that these podcasts are a blessing to you. If you've got any feedback, if you've got any questions regarding anything that you'd like us to discuss, regarding church planting please don't hesitate to contact us